Thank you for listening to another episode of the Official Review. On today's episode, we cover a little bit of college football content where we try to predict where Caleb Williams is going to land, and then we talk about some crazy news out of Auburn uh, that have just been released over the last couple of days. We get back into some MLB just a little bit with uh, the Hall of Fame inductees of the class of 2022. Then we get into Zach Knows Basketball, and then we get into NFL where we talk about Tom Brady's retirement. We review some of the coaching hires so far in the NFL. We review last week's uh, great conference championships, and then we get into Cousin Clash again. Uh, we, we go at it with some trivia and some Cousin Clash, and then we round out the show with some more WWE content as Royal Rumble has just passed. And uh, so if you're, in, into the, if you're into the WWE content, stick around for that. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank yeah. you. And welcome back to the official review. I'm Mitchell Graham. And I'm Zach Brown. And we have got another loaded episode for you today. We've got college football to cover. We've got some MLB. Of course, we've got Zach Knows Basketball. A lot to talk about on the NFL front. And then we are going to be doing a full Royal Rumble review um, for the WWE after a, a weird night. But we'll get into that. But you know what? Let's just jump right into college football. You heard the intro. You know what we're doing. Zach's already giving you the rundown. So... Let's jump right into it with Caleb Williams. I feel like he's kind of been the forefront of a lot of the college football transfer portal stuff, and a new development has happened recently with USC enrollment kind of closing for the next uh, semester, and Caleb Williams not announcing anything. Now, very well, he could have already signed, but they're just not announcing it. But it doesn't look good right now. So let me ask you this, Zach, and I'm pretty sure you're passionate about this, and I'm pretty sure you have a good answer. Where will Caleb Blooms land? I don't think he's going to USC. Uh, for a while, I thought I thought what you just said, maybe he is already enrolled and just hasn't said anything. But over the last week, and some of you might be a little shocked to hear this, but Wisconsin is gaining a lot of steam right now. They're getting a lot of attention. And you think, Wisconsin, there's no way, you know, it was between USC and LSU for a long time, and now all of a sudden Wisconsin has stepped into the picture. And... <laughs> You know, and there's a couple different reasons why yeah. he's interested. He's close with Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson loves Paul Christ, has been talking up Paul Christ to Caleb Williams a lot over the last couple of weeks. He's probably had several conversations with Russell Wilson. And uh, Caleb Williams also is reportedly not interested in a rebuild, and he kind of views USC and LSU kind of in a rebuild right now. Yeah. Um, and Wisconsin's a little bit more set up to win, which. You know, literally anybody other than Graham Mertz probably would have won 11 games for that Wisconsin team this year. Oh, Graham um, Mertz. <laughs> so Caleb Williams is – but really the only – and then Wisconsin goes out and hires the uh, – I forget his name, but the Ravens tight end coach is now on yep. their staff. Mm-hmm. And why is that significant? Because his best friend is Caleb Williams' dad. They're best <laughs> friends with each other. They've known each other for That's crazy. decades. But then the only setback was, well, you're not going to get any NIL deals at Wisconsin. You're not going to get anything. Well, over the last 48 hours, uh, some, of the be- some of the top Wisconsin boosters have come together and said, we'll get some NIL de- deals together for you if you come here to Wisconsin. So I'm not saying it's a done deal, but with the deadline already passing at USC, I think that's kind of run its course. And I think Wisconsin is a real possibility. So I'm going to say Wisconsin. I'm going to say Caleb Williams to Wisconsin. 
I mean, you took the words right out of my out of my mouth. And like right now, you would I mean, before it, we kind of were viewing Georgia, but I don't think, think that's out of the question with Stetson Bennett returning LSU and USC are rebuilds. Um, so right now, as crazy as it sounds, the Wisconsin Badgers could pull the number one quarterback transfer right now. And the, the, the highest rated player ever in the transfer portal. Ever. They're going to be nasty if yeah. they get Caleb Williams. Um, I think there's also some connection with Paul Christ as well. Paul yeah. Christ, I think, was um, an offensive coordinator for someone significant in Caleb Williams' life. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of connection, a lot of signs. It kind of came out of nowhere, to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, Wisconsin, really? Like they don't. They're a team that developed a running back near the end of the year there who's yes. going to be nasty next year. He was only year. 17, and he was killing yep. it in the Big Ten. Yep, and he's going to be back next year, obviously. And all I'm saying, if Wisconsin lands Caleb Williams, they're the favorite in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, because that defense can stop Ohio State. And then they're going to yeah, have the offense to boot. Everybody talked about Georgia's defense last year, which deservedly so. I still think Georgia would. They they were the best defense in the in the NCAA last year, besides that one game uh, with Alabama. But for a long time, Wisconsin actually had less mm-hmm. points allowed per game than Georgia did, and nobody really talked about it. Um, I mean, if so we look at they've Wisconsin, got a really good defense. That first game of the year against Penn State, and then a couple games down the line, and that really bad start that they had, they just couldn't hold on to the football. They fumbled. Yeah. They were fumbling everywhere, and once they figured that out, they won like nine in a row. Yeah, I mean, and not to mention, like Wisconsin always has good running backs. Like I think Wisconsin is RBU like they're as much as I love my Georgia running backs. I think Wisconsin (laughs) is RBU, man. They they are always producing fantastic running backs. And like I said, that running back that that kind of burst out onto the scene the end of last year, Mm -hmm. he's only 17. He turned 18 after the season was over. He's only 17, a true freshman. And he was just taking the Big Ten by storm at the end of the year. And, you know, they've already got they've got good wide receivers. They always have a good offensive line. They always have a good offensive line and they still got a good defense. So, yeah, I think Caleb Williams could could pull a Russell Wilson, go to a school in the middle of nowhere, shine and get drafted and be a star in the NFL. Dude, I mean, it's talk about this is this is kind of. The transfer portal, like people who opened up the transfer portal, this is their dream right here for a guy like Caleb Williams, not to just jump to where everyone else is going, but to go to Wisconsin, which is a team that's not going to is not going to fail, but is not in the upper echelon yet. This is a transfer that could change Wisconsin's program forever. Yeah, legitimately could change their because they you put him on that team. They're automatically noteworthy. Automatically noteworthy. And you put him on there, he's gonna he's gonna shine. He's talented as heck. You give him that kind of defense, which he didn't have at Oklahoma, they're gonna win a lot of games. Yeah, I agree. So now talking about good programs going into bad programs. Right now, crazy news out of Auburn. I feel like they're in the news all the time. So obviously, Harson, after a six and seven year losing in the Birmingham Bowl to Houston, they fire Mike Bobo and then Derek Mason takes the same position of defensive coordinator in at Oklahoma State, which sounds like a downgrade when you talk about programs. But Oklahoma State was a top three defense last year. So Derek Mason took a good job. I think they filled. I don't know who they filled the void with with him, but. Then they signed this up and coming young offensive coordinator, I think his name's Austin Davis. 
Yes, Austin Davis. Austin Davis, who was already an NFL coach. Um, yeah, quarterback's quarter- coach for the Seahawks. Quarterback's coach for the Seahawks. Comes in six weeks, doesn't even have a practice with Auburn. And then he leaves for personal reasons. They've lost a lot of offensive talent, uh, most notably Bo Picks, who's now an Oregon Duck. Okay, and now so now you look at the grand scheme, grand scheme of things. This is Harson's second year. And he's going to and he's on his third offensive coordinator and his second defensive coordinator. Zach, what's wrong with Auburn right now? Uh, I mean, the only thing the only thing you can really say, the only explanation is it's Brian Harson. Yeah, we don't know the details of what's going on within that program, but whatever it is, it's not good because he fires Mike Bobo, which a little bit understandable. Mike Bobo uh, in South Carolina. At South Carolina, had the 10th-ranked offense in the SEC. Last year, Auburn had the 10th-ranked offense in the SEC. He's a little too old-fashioned. He hasn't really caught up with the times in, his, in terms of his play call. Um, that's another conversation for another day. So that one was probably the only understandable firing. Um, and then Derek Mason, you said, leaving for Oklahoma State, which, yes, Oklahoma State is a respectable program, but high profile D coordinators don't leave the SEC for the Big 12. Like that doesn't happen. You're right. So there's something going on. And then after right after Mike Bobo gets fired, you have a mass exodus of Auburn offensive players trying to transfer out of the program. Tank Bigsby was about to put his name in the portal and then took it out right before he like signed the paperwork or whatever. And then um you know, after Derek Mason leaves, now you got a bunch of defensive players that are transferring out. And now Austin Davis was cited for just personal reasons for why he's not coming back. But there's a lot of people within the Auburn program that said that he kind of uh, made a hasty decision in taking the Auburn job. So he comes to Auburn, sees what a literal mess the program is and says, I don't want to be involved in this. I'm going to I'm going to dip out of here. I, I'm not I can't handle this. This is more than I can take. And so there's something going on within that program. That's that's just not good. And there's also talks, you know. I looked on some Auburn message boards um, and there's also talks. And of course, this could all just be, you know, weird conspiracy theories or whatever. But there are talks that the boosters have decided they are so upset, like they didn't want the Brian Harson hiring in the first place. But now they are so upset with how chaotic the program is that they are willing to intentionally sabotage the program until they get the coach they want. They're willing to pull funding from the program. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get Brian Harson out the door and pour big money into a coach that they actually want. And the thing is, Auburn has, you know, big time boosters. They can pour a lot of money into that program. Mm-hmm. And that would be devastating to them if that's true where these boosters are like, look, we're not giving you another dime until Brian Harson is out of here. Yeah. So there's obviously something internal going on because a guy like Bo Nix would not leave that program unless something is, is happening there that he's not liking. Wait, Zach, do you know, do you know something? What? Bo Nix's dad played for Auburn, played quarterback at Auburn. No way. Yeah. Just did you, did you know, did you know that, Bo Nix's dad's dad also played at Auburn. And did you know that whenever there is a starting quarterback named Nix for Auburn, the Braves have won the World Series? Yes, I did know that. So Bo Nix, when you have a kid, please 
Send them to Auburn. Phoenix's brother just actually decommitted from Auburn to go somewhere else. Hey, so uh, I'm sorry. Man, no repeat this year for the Braves. No repeat. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was his job. Like, he was not going to lose that job at Auburn, no matter who they brought in. Even if they still brought in Calzada, Phoenix was going to be the starter. Yeah. As much as I think Bo Nix is kind of overrated and he's very overhyped, he still, you know, he still made enough plays to win you enough games. Um, if Bo Nix plays against Alabama, Auburn probably wins that game. You're right. Um, so, you know, just the fact that he left and then Tank Bigsby, who has been probably the most committed guy to that program, decides I'm putting my name in the transfer portal. Now, of course, Brian Harson talked him out of it, but something's going on that we don't know the details of and it's not good it's not looking good if you're an auburn fan you know as a fan of your rival um you know we enjoy to, we enjoy seeing that but right. also a little bit of sympathy for you cuz you know that's just a, that's just the whole program is in chaos right now and I'm i mean not just gonna, just, yeah. just not even not even 10 years removed from being national champions and beating Alabama, you know, every other year. And now your program is probably the biggest dumpster fire in the SEC. Which is saying something. You've got Vandy in your in the same conference. Well, Vandy is not a dumpster fire because you don't expect them to be good. That's true. But Auburn is literally the biggest. And Clark Lee is probably at least a competent head coach and can run a respectable program. But man, Auburn is in a bad spot right now. And to me, we like I'm not going to say I told you so, but I said I but I told you so. I mean, I think we kind of knew this is where this uh, that this wasn't going to work. He's a West Coast guy, has never really had to get dirty in recruiting. He comes into the SEC and a program that has huge aspirations. And Auburn honestly did not start the season bad. They played a really competitive game against a good Penn State team and the whiteout. And then they played a great game against Alabama They've uh, I think they lost. Uh, I think they beat Arkansas, a good Arkansas team. Um, I mean, they had a good season, but they just every single time they would take a step forward, they would take three steps back. And I, I think it's I think it's all Harson, And I think he's I think he's done after this year. And I think Auburn's going to start looking for that bright young coordinator, not a guy coming from the West Coast. I yeah. think I, I think Auburn is definitely going to look for a guy. Um, I think Auburn's a rebuild. They're they're going to be a rebuild now, but they're going to bring in a young guy who actually has some culture, who actually wants to get dirty. Um, if Beamer hadn't gone to South Carolina, I'd say Beamer would be the perfect spot for Auburn. Or yeah. Beamer would be the perfect job. Yeah. Perfect guy for Auburn. But he's at South Carolina and he's already building something. They need someone like a Beamer. Yeah. The thing is, is like Auburn really doesn't have a choice that they're going to have to take a chance on a guy because, you know, Auburn, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying uh, to the listeners. Auburn is an attractive job because it has a lot of success in recent years. It's in a recruiting hotbed. It's in the ACC. They've had a lot of success. But it's also not an attractive job because consistently, every year, Auburn has the hardest schedule in the SEC. Yeah. Every season. Because they have to play Alabama every year. They have to play Georgia every year. They have to play everyone in the SEC West every year, and then they schedule hard out of conference games every year. Respect so, to them. Respect. respect. Respect to Auburn. They play the. They play a top five hardest schedule every single season. Yep. And the SEC doesn't have patience for losing. So in a way, it's also not a very attractive job. So you. So at this point, you're going to have to take a chance on a young guy, and just kind of let him. 
let him figure it out. Give him, uh, give him three to four years at least. You can't, you can't make Auburn a revolving door of coaches because that's not going to work. We see what's happened at Tennessee now. Tennessee may have found a good, may have found a pretty good head coach. I think I need to see year two before I'm really making an evaluation on Heupel. But for a while there, for about ten years, they were just a revolving door of coaches. You got, you got to give some, you got to give somebody some time. You know, you know they have they have a there's a guy up in a there's a guy in a in in a Florida right now that uh that you know is a pretty good coach. He drove a bus. His name was Gus, and I, mean, I think they miss him now. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, they they criticized Gus for you know he Gus was a lot like Mark Richt in a way. You know, he would always win you nine or he would always win you nine or ten nine or ten games. But then he would always lose a stupid game every year. And then he could only beat Alabama half the time. The only difference is I'll put Gus above Mark Richt because he actually won a national title. But I think I think Gus was Auburn's Mark Richt. He's a good guy. He's a Christian guy. He, you know, no nobody's ever said a bad word about him, about his personality. But just kind of getting the program to an elite level was kind of his issue. But yeah. hey. If I'm an Auburn fan today, I'd take Gus over Brian Harson every day of the week. I'd rather have Gus back. Just to tell you though, Gus is enjoying Florida too much. Oh, Gus is he, having a blast in Florida right Gus now. Gus is having a blast in Central Florida, and they've got ballers, man. Central Florida's good. So and they're 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 killing it in the in the transfer portal trail. as well. And, yeah, yeah, transfer portal recruiting trail. Um, they put that sign up in um, Gainesville the other day. I don't know if you saw that. They I didn't a, see that. They put a sign that said. Um, 126 miles to the to the future of college football. They put it in the middle of Gainesville, and it was a UCF. It was a Central Florida sign. <laughs> That's savage. Yeah, it was great. That's pretty awesome. All right, that was yeah, sad for Auburn, but also not sad because I hate Auburn. Um, let's go into a little bit of a look ahead to next year. This is kind of one that I don't think you guys should hold us to because it's really really early. Um, but Zach, who's your dark horse Heisman contender for 2022? All right. Well, you added this to the show notes like literally 30 seconds before we started recording. So I didn't have time to really think about this answer, but <laughs> um, we'll revisit this at the beginning of college football this year. But for right now, I'm going to say Caleb Williams is the dark horse candidate. I mean, he may not even necessarily be dark horse because he's already really good, but he's the first guy that came to my mind, especially if he goes to Wisconsin. There's a really good shot. He's a really good shot at winning it. Mine, mine's pretty easy. I mean, we're going dark horse. I think Caleb Williams is a front runner. I think CJ Stroud is a front runner. My dark horse is Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he talented man, talented guy at USC. Just never really worked. I mean, he did win the job over Keaton Slovis, who now is at where's Pitt. Pitt. Keaton Slovis is now at Pitt, um, and he's in he's in the Lane Kiffin system. I know they lost Lebby, but I think I think they're gonna ball out. I think he's gonna ball out. I think he's a dark horse contender yeah. this year because Ole Miss is going to put up points and he's going to put up stats so we don't have to really dwell on that we can talk about that again as the as everything kind of it comes to you know when we like get to we, August yeah. we can talk about that when we again. get to August but yeah. you know just we needed some more okay so anyways that's dark horse for Heisman 2022 that is college football now I'm going to throw it over to Mr. Zach Mr. Baseball tell us about the Hall of Fame All right, so uh, this past week, um, we, we had the Hall of Fame voting, and this year we only have one inductee in the class of 2022. 
just to kind of recap the MLB, the way it works is the only people that get votes for the hall of fame are like certain writers. And I don't know how they get those privileges or whatever, but um, they vote on everybody that's on the ballot and you have to get at least 75% of the vote. And each writer gets like five votes or something like that. So if you get 75% of the vote, you get in and only one guy made the hall of fame class this year. And that was David Ortiz, David Ortiz. Now, I watched David Ortiz for a probably the best part of his career, the better part of his career. Everyone, when you think of David Ortiz, you always think of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch him in his time in Minnesota. People often don't don't realize that he started in Minnesota first, wow. um, and then came over to Boston. Um, you know, one of the greatest DHs uh, of our of our generation, and so many clutch moments in the playoffs. That clutch, uh, I think it was a clutch grand slam that won in the World Series in 2013. Yeah, yeah. the guy like hopped over the back and yeah, and the cop and the cop was right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Just just a lot of fun clutch moments. Um, But if I'm being honest, I think I think the MLB was a little bit hypocritical in letting him in the Hall of Fame, and that's the 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 perfect segue into the next thing here is do Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Roger Clemens deserve the Hall of Fame? And what do all those guys have in common? They all use PEDs. Every one of them did. Yeah. But the thing is, is David Ortiz also used PEDs. Now, I think his was a little bit more minor, and I think he only got caught once, if I'm not mistaken. But still, it's a little bit hypocritical to say that those other guys don't deserve the Hall of Fame because they cheated, because they were taking, you know, human growth hormone and having an unfair advantage. But then you have these other guys that were doing the same thing and they don't get to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, a lot of people want to talk about, you know, I saw a lot on social media how Barry Bonds absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I have mixed emotions on that, um, mainly because I, I personally don't think if you cheated at any point in your career, you do not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. If you cheated, if you gave yep. yourself an unfair advantage, you are automatically disqualified from the Hall of Fame. But on the other side, you could argue before PEDs, Barry Bonds was on his way to a Hall of Fame career. But the thing is, is we don't know because he did use PEDs. We don't know what would have happened to Barry Bonds had he not been on them. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, they are, they are credited for saving baseball in a time where the game was kind of dying and you had the, the steroid era, the two champions of the steroid era, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, that year where they both were competing for uh, the home run, the home run crown. Mark McGuire, I think, hit like seventy home runs, and Sammy Sosa hit like sixty-eight. Stupid, like that's insane to think about. We haven't seen anything like that since those two guys. Uh, Barry Bonds also hit seventy-three one year. He has the record. Um, but that year that they were they were competing, you know that that was credited for saving the game. But the the problem is is that both of those guys were on PEDs. Yeah. Not only were they on PEDs. But Sammy Sosa also got caught using a corked bat. So he got caught cheating in two different ways. So He also looks like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. 
So we, 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 we won't, we won't go there. Um, <laughs> Sammy Sosa, I'm sure is a good guy, but he, he's a cheater, you know, and yeah. he, while he may have been a great baseball player and while he, yes, yes, he does get credit for saving the game of baseball. He also ruined the integrity of baseball. And I know maybe I'm sounding like one of those old head traditionalists, but I would say that about any sport. If you gave yourself an unfair advantage, I, I have a hard time justifying you being in the Hall of Fame. Where The Hall of Fame is supposed to be for the legends of the sport, the guys who worked their tails off and did it the right way and became the greatest in the game, whereas you gave yourself an unfair advantage. And you're in, and and you get to be in the Hall of Fame when guys like Todd Helton, they probably are not going to make the Hall of Fame. Guys like Andrew Jones, never got. I don't think he ever got caught with PEDs. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame. And I mean, and and then you discredit guys like Hank Aaron, who Hank Aaron never used PEDs. The real home run ever. And I, I don't know. I have mixed emotions about it. I get that they saved baseball. I get it, but they also gave themselves an unfair advantage. But I don't know how you can justify leaving them out when you put David Ortiz in. I like David Ortiz. I really do. But, you know. He's so inspirational. It's just, it just gives me a lot of mixed emotions and, and, and just kind I'm of sure. shows a little bit of the hypocrisy of the, of, of, the, of the Hall of Fame. And now Barry Bonds, his time has expired. He's reached the maximum number of times on the ballot, so he can never be inducted in the Hall of Fame now. Um, neither can I, and I think Sosa and McGuire and Clemens also are, have expired their time on the ballot. None of them are ever going to make it. And Alex Rodriguez was on the ballot for the first time this year. If Alex Rodriguez ends up making the Hall of Fame, then you'll know that it's really just a personal vendetta against Barry Bonds and not yep. and not anything to do with PEDs because Alex Rodriguez got caught probably more than anybody else. I think Alex Rodriguez got caught four times using PEDs. Four times. So, you know, he was married to JLo, though. He's okay. (laughs) It's just, you know, I love the game of baseball so much, but the Hall of Fame voting needs to change. Something needs to change about it. Um, The fact that Pete Rose is left out of the Hall of Fame, like seriously. It wasn't even like Pete Rose was using a human growth hormone. It wasn't even like he was using a corked bat. He literally was just ga- he literally was gambling on the games he was playing in, but he was betting on himself. It'd be one thing to be like, "Hey, I'm going to bet a thousand dollars that the Reds lose tonight, and I'm going to throw the game so I can get my money." No, he was betting on the Reds to win, and they were winning. Like, why is that? And then you see in the NBA, Adam Silver has embraced sports betting. The NFL has started to embrace sports betting. Like, come on, MLB. Pete Rose is the undoubted hit king. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I agree with you, Zach. Guys like Edgar Edgar Martinez, the greatest DH of all time, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He's only left out because he didn't play a position. He was a DH. Put Edgar Martinez in the Hall of Fame. Come on. I mean, for the last five or six years of his career, David Ortiz was a DH. He played first base like every, like once a week. He played first base. But he was mainly a DH. You know, so well, anyways, you know, that that, that's really all there is for the for the MLB this week. We get two Zach soapboxes this week. (laughs) That was your first one. (laughs) Um, There was there was a little bit more progress on the lockout, but still no no deal has been made. The the players were willing to 
uh, compromise on a few things. Um, you know, so they're they're getting closer and closer. Uh, like I said, they they the players' association did decide. Okay, fine, we'll we'll give in in this in a couple different areas. I forget what they were, but we are getting closer to to something being done. So, but that's all we have for the MLB this week. All right, and now it's everyone's favorite segment. I know it's Zach's favorite segment because he gets to show off his knowledge. Zach knows basketball. Last week, you picked the Hornets to win and LaMelo and LeBron to be the leading scorers. Zach, the Hornets won, so you were spot on about that one. Good job, there go. sir. There we go. And the leading scorer for the Lakers was Russell Westbrook with 35 points because LeBron didn't play. Oh. And the leading scorer for the Hornets was Miles Bridges. Oh, so man. So 0 for 2 on those, but it's okay. I got the game right. Get- yeah, you got the game right, and you have a chance to redeem yourself with two great teams that are playing this Friday. Okay. We've got the Boston Celtics and the Detroit Pistons. Who wins and who is the leading scorer? Two great teams. I feel like that was, sarca- I felt like that was sarcasm with the two great teams when I heard the well, Pistons. Well, Celtics are, Celtics are about 500. The Pistons are legitimately the second-worst team record-wise in the NBA. All right. Who's the home team? I think the Detroit Pistons are playing at Little Caesars Arena. Hmm. Part of me wants to take the upset. Do it. You know what? We don't even keep. We're not even keeping track of my record. So just go out. Go yeah. Pistons. Give Pistons. me the Pistons. Um, Do you know anyone on the Pistons? Yes, Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham. Good. Is pick. he active? Yes, he is active right now. Give me him as the leading scorer. He's probably not going to be a leading scorer, but whatever. Give me him. What about the Celtics? Who's their leading scorer? Celtics. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. That's a safe pick. It's a safe pick, but it's probably going to happen. There you go. All right. We are locked in. Some, for sometimes, this you, sometimes you just got to risk it for the biscuit, you know? Do it, right? Yeah, right. Why not? Why not? You have literally nothing to lose. For literally. Literally. All right. The trivia question this week, Zach. Who was the first ever unanimously voted MVP of the league? First ever unit. Steph Curry? That's correct. I thought that was going to be a there trick we question. Go. That was going to be a trick question. I thought you were going to think it was someone earlier, but it, no. It was pretty recent, though. I think that's why it I was. remember that. It was, it was recent. recent. It was recent, but it was Steph Curry. I think the second closest was Shaq, his second time that he won. I think he received, received all but two votes. I, I could be dead wrong about that. But anyways, quick Zach knows basketball this week because Zach's just too smart and knew the trivia question. So now there we go. We go to our meat segment of. Okay, we have two meat segments this week, kind of. So let's yeah, we do. Let's go on to the NFL. All right. So uh, our first segment is uh, got to talk about it. Tom yeah. Brady. Yeah. Did he retire or did he not? We don't really know. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll let you take it away. Twenty-seven Your minutes thoughts. ago, I got a notification from ESPN. That says Tom Brady says on his podcast, it's literally day to day with me regarding decision about his playing future. Yeah. And I think that tells you all he needs to know. And look, this is how I'm going to feel about this right now. And this is the kind of player that Tom Brady is. I think Tom Brady legitimately had already made a decision that he was going to retire. And he told someone and it slipped and it got to Darlington and it got to Schefter. But now I don't think he's retiring. I don't think he's retiring. I think he wants to be the person to announce his own retirement. So I think he's going to play another year. I just think that's the kind of player Tom Brady is. I know there's a lot of push from Giselle right now for him to retire, just be a family man. But there's two factors. Tom Brady's coming off a 
one play, one one and done in the playoffs. Yeah, one and done in the uh, no. Never mind. Sorry, he beat the Eagles. Yeah, so he's one. Yeah, he beat the Eagles. That game was basically nothing. He beat the Eagles, and then they lose to the Rams. Um, So he ended on a loss, and he didn't even get to announce his own retirement because Schefter and Darlington announced it early. So I don't think he's going to retire anymore, and I think he's going to come back for a vengeance tour. But, and we'll talk about this later, looking previewing next season in the NFL. If you think about the 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 groundbreaking change that's going to happen in the NFC South, if Tom Brady retires, Buccaneers aren't going to be good next year. They'll have Kyle Trask starting as quarterback. They're going to lose Godwin to free agency. Gronk's probably going to retire. The Saints just lost Sean Payton. They don't have a viable quarterback. The Panthers suck. All of a sudden, the Atlanta Falcons are the favorite in the NFC South. Matt Ryan all of a sudden is the best quarterback in the division. Matt Ryan is all of a sudden (laughs) went from being behind Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady to being the best because he's going to be in a division with Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, and Kyle Trask. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. I don't think Tom Brady's going to retire, but I think it's not because he wants to play again. I just think he's selfish and wants to announce his own retirement. I, I, I agree with with like 90% of what you said, but my, my final say is yes, Tom Brady is retiring. I think I, I agree with you that he probably said that to somebody in confidence that he's retiring. And then it kind of just got out. Um, I think the type of the type of man, the type of character that Tom Brady is, I think he was going to wait until after the Super Bowl to announce his retirement because he wanted to give those players the respect. You know, they've they've earned it. They've worked hard. They got to the Super Bowl and he doesn't want to take away from them by trying to steal the spotlight and saying, hey, I'm retiring. I think he wanted to wait until after the Super Bowl to announce it, but it got out. And I think that's why he's kind of backtracking and saying. I'm day to day. I don't know. You know, I didn't say that I was retiring. I, I, I haven't told the Bucks that I'm retiring. I think that's why he's kind of backtracking. I still yeah. think he's going to retire, but I think it's what you said. He wants to retire on his own terms. He wants to be the one to announce it. So yeah. I think he's going to wait until after the Super Bowl. I think the day after the Super Bowl, February 14th, you will, you, we will see Tom Brady officially announce his retirement from the NFL. And we will talk about it on the show. Yeah, and we will talk about it. Um, and, you know, and there's a couple different reasons why I truly believe that this is it for him. Because, number one, I've never seen him be so okay with losing in the playoffs. After yeah. that loss, he just, he kind of just seemed okay with it. He kind of just seemed at peace with it. I've never heard him talk that way after a loss. He's usually when he loses, he's like, no, that's not acceptable. We're going to be better next time. We're yeah. going to be better next week. But he kind of just seemed very like at ease and very just like, you know what? Stoic. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, you know what? We, uh, we worked hard and, uh, you know, I'm satisfied with the way we played this year. Yeah. So, and then all the, all the talks about, you know, how Giselle, you know, he's like, you know, my wife needs me. My kids need me. Um, and I, and I think he kind of sees all these new young quarterbacks coming into the game and he's seeing how much the game is changing. And I think Tom Brady has gotten to the point where he's like, you know what? I can't handle the change or the direction the game is going. I'm just not in my prime anymore. He's still a darn good quarterback, still the best, still one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, even at 44 years old. 
But I think he's kind of seeing where the game, the direction the game is going and saying, you know, I can't with my age and all this, I can't. What's the word I'm looking for? I can't get there to that spot. I can't change yep. with the game again. I can't evolve again at my age. Yep. So I think he is going to hang it up um, as much as it pains me to say that, you know, Tom Brady for the last 10 years or so has been my favorite quarterback in the league. Um, you know, he's just, it just, every time you watch him, you're watching greatness. And, you know, if he does it, when he does officially announce his retirement, we'll, we'll, we'll give a segment about our favorite memories about Tom Brady or whatever. Um, or but, least favorite memories. Yeah. And least favorite yeah. memories. If you're a Falcons fan, we already know what that is. Um, and then, you know, yeah, to your point, if Tom Brady leaves, he's on a, like the NFC South is the most winnable division in the NFL next year. It's it's in a bad spot for like, you know, then at that. But but also, I think for those Falcons, for that section of Falcons fans that wants to move off Matt Ryan, that's bad news because now you have no reason to move off Matt Ryan. Now he's probably going to win you the division next year and it's may further delay you drafting a quarterback that you want them to do so badly. Oh, you know? geez. Yeah, we're going to win so, like 10 games next year. <laughs> You're going to win 10 and six of them are going to be against the NFC South. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's going to. Yeah, it. it's it's going to be a, a rough division next year. Um, unless somebody from the South makes a play for one of these quarterbacks that will be available next offseason. The Panthers guys need like, something at quarterback. Guys like Derek Carr, Russell Wilson. um, um. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to be on the market. Jimmy G's gone. Yep. Yeah, Jimmy G's Jimmy G's probably not coming back. And the thing is, is Jimmy G's probably not going to be very expensive. Uh, you know, the Giants or not the Giants, the 49ers may be able to get a first round pick out of him. They're definitely not getting two first round picks. They're not getting they one. Might, they, yeah. they might be able to get a first round pick, but that's probably all they get. They'd probably just get one first round pick for Jimmy G. So he's not that expensive. Um, and I, and you gotta, you gotta think the Pittsburgh Steelers are looking for a quarterback. The Denver Broncos are looking for a quarterback. The Saints are looking for a quarterback. Saints, every, pretty much everybody in the South, except for except for the Falcons are looking for a quarterback. The Washington football teams looking for a quarterback. So, you know, unless one of those teams jumps on it, then they're going to be the most winnable division in the NFL next year. And that's also something to think about for Aaron Rodgers. Do you really want to leave Green Bay at this point when the NFC is very winnable right now? Tom Brady gone, the NFC becomes that much more winnable. So you can't even beat freaking Garoppolo. Oh, I mean, I agree, but I'm just saying, you know, do you really want to leave Green Bay when all the good quarterbacks are in the AFC? Jeez, yeah, you you ain't kidding. <laughs> Golly. So, anyways, let, let's move on to the next. Um, Next thing is the review. Well, let's review some of the coaching hires so far. Okay. There's been five, uh, five jobs that have been filled so far. That uh, is three and two, by the way. Yeah, the very the first three coaches that were announced, I nailed. Um, the first one was Matt Eberflew of the Chicago Bears. Um, he was hired there. The former defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, Matt Eberflew. I'm gonna give it. A, I'm going to give it a B. I think it's kind of a safe hire. It's not really an, an aggressive hire by the Bears. 
Um, but Eberflu does have a good track record. He's always, you know, had solid defenses. Um, he's a solid defensive coordinator. The Bears have a good defense. That's the strength of their team is their defense. Um, he just he's going to need to get a good coordinator in there who can develop Justin Fields. But I think uh, I think it's a B higher for the Bears. See, I can't grade this higher yet until I see who he brings on. I think that's the biggest thing for me is who is he going to bring in at the offensive coordinator position? Um, because that is the most important part. His defense wasn't. I mean, Nagy's defense wasn't bad last year. The Bears, yeah, Bears were the still playing of their team. Yeah, yeah, Bears were still playing great defense, but they couldn't score. They could not have. They had no offense, and yeah. they have a great running back. They've got Allen Robinson. Darnell Mooney's already a, stu- a stud in his first year. They've got they've got pieces, and if they can get a guy with a good philosophy and not a terrible offensive mind like Matt Nagy. This is going to be a great hire because Eberflus is is a leader of men. He oh, he gets the best out of his team. Um, I think this is a good hire right now. I will put it. Yes, as a B. If he can hire a really good offensive coordinator, it's an A. All right. Moving on to the uh, who do I have next? The Jaguars. Jags. Yeah. Jaguars. Byron Leftwich. Now, something a little bit strange about this hire is I nailed it. Everything. A lot of articles have have I've seen several articles that said Byron Leftwich set to become the next Jaguars head coach, but they still haven't made it official yet. He has not yeah. been officially announced as the head coach. Um, if you look on the Jaguars page, he hasn't been announced as the head coach. It's a little strange uh, because that was about a week ago that the reports came out that he was being hired. I don't really know what they're waiting on, but uh, Byron Leftwich, I think that isn't. For the Jaguars organization, for their organization, I'm giving it an A. I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to turn out to be an A higher, but I'm saying for the Jaguars right now, it's an A higher because you've got a a solid offensive mind, a guy who has been a successful quarterback in the NFL, a guy who's already beloved in Jacksonville. The fans are going to be more patient with him than they probably were with other guys. So I think this is a home run. This was this was the guy you had to get out of everyone available because he's already got ties to Jacksonville and he's done really well as an offensive coordinator. So I think this is a great hire. It's an A for me. The Jaguars. This is this is interesting because we've seen the Jaguars hire a good coach. Urban Meyer, as much as he's a nutcase, is a great coach. He's a great football coach. Byron Leftwich can be a great mind. He can be a he can have a great offense and he can hire really good coordinators. Can he lead a team? We've never seen it. And same with Eberflus. I mean, same with same with Hackett, same with McDaniels and same with Dable. We're going to say ask this question, but the Jaguars are such a dumpster fire that it's I feel like they might have needed to go established. Like I, I like going back on it because last week I, I said they would go Kellen Moore and I think Kellen Moore would have been a terrible hire. They've gone Just established like, so many times before and it hasn't worked. Like Doug Marone was very established. Terrible. The guy before that established. Terrible. At some point, you got to start taking chances on guys. But I don't know if this is the year. I mean, I understand they, they, they've got a young team and if Leftwich can get there, can spark their interest and like and he can get those players behind him. They have a lot of talent. I it mean, isn't. You're saying it isn't the year. They haven't made the playoffs in like 20 years. Well, they made the playoffs like they six made the years AFC ago. They championship game. Well, but like they haven't been relevant in like 20 years. You know, at some point you got to stop saying, okay, well, this is not the year. Let's wait till next year. No, let's just do something now. Let's try something now. Because that's what the Rams did with, with, with Sean McVay. 
not proven, but you took a chance on a young guy who was a great offensive mind, and it worked. That's what the 49ers did with Shanahan. Doesn't have any head coaching experience, but he's a great offensive mind. Sometimes you just got to take chances on guys. And the Jaguars are at a point where we've tried the established thing before, and it does not work. Let's go with somebody who's already familiar with this organization. Um, You know, he's already familiar with Shad Khan. I'm pretty sure Shad Khan was still the owner when left, which was there. You know, is familiar with with the city. The fans know him. The fans love him. He's he was a quarterback himself. He's going to be able to help develop Trevor Lawrence, which you know Urban Meyer was not able to do because Urban Meyer, while he is a great coach, hired some awful coordinators around him. Yep. Um. You know, I think he could turn out to be a good hire. I mean. You know, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, is every year we have like eight or nine openings every season and only really about two of them really work. The rest of them are either very mediocre or they're terrible. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of just have to expect that a lot of these are not going to work out, but at least one of them is going to. And I think out of all of the hires. I don't think he has the best chance of working out, but I think he's got a pretty good sh- He's definitely not in like the bottom four. I think he's in the top four for working out. It's also going to be interesting with him. And I don't want to dog on Leftwich. He's, I mean, he's a good coordinator, but also he's been, ever since he's been the Buccaneers coordinator, he's had Tom Brady. He's had Mike Evans. He's had Antonio Brown, uh, Chris Godwin, Robert Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette. Like he's had all these all these talented pieces, can he translate the same offensive production to a Jaguars team that doesn't have that much talent? Uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to give the hire a C plus for now, okay. but a lot of these, I haven't seen enough from him. It's a C plus for me. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. If that's a fair grade, if it was somebody like the Patriots, I'm giving it a C plus, but I was just saying for the Jaguars who have historically been so bad, I think it was an A for them specifically. Um, next one, the Broncos hiring Nathaniel Hackett. So that's three in a row so far that I nailed. I, I predicted uh, Nathaniel Hackett to the Broncos. And I think this is a further, I, I think this is a B plus hire that could turn into an A plus hire if the strategy of getting Hackett to come so you can get Rodgers to come works. Yeah. If that yeah. works, it's an A plus hire. Because you're all you've already upgraded to may, probably the I don't know if I would say the best quarterback in that division, probably one A and one B between Mahomes and Rodgers. Yeah. It's like one A and one B, whoever you put where I put Mahomes at one A just because he's more clutch than Rodgers. Also got Herbert in that and same seems, division. And seems to care more. Um so yeah, I think I think it's a B plus hire. Nathaniel Hackett, he's he's been a good offensive coordinator. He's a good offensive mind. And the game the NFL game is transitioning to offensive uh, to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, yeah. look at everybody that was in the, the 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 final four this past weekend. All of them were offensive coaches. Right? Andy Reid, offensive coach. Zach Taylor, offensive coach. Um Sean McVay, offensive coach. Kyle Shanahan, offensive coach. There was no defensive coaches in 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 the final four. So I think you're seeing the game shift that way. 
and the Broncos have realized that they've kind of focused on defense for a long time, but they, I think they realize now, Hey, we've got to, got to get better on the offensive side of the ball. If, even if they don't get Rodgers, if they can just get a decent quarterback in there, they're, they're, they'll be a good team. Yeah, you, you kind of you kind of took everything I was going to say. I do think this is I'm going to put it as an A right now because they obviously didn't just hire Hackett to get Rodgers, because if they don't get Rodgers, then it would be stupid um, because there's no guarantee they're going to get him. I think he's just an overall great X's and O's coach. He's he's just as unproven as Leftwich and Eberflus. He's had a great quarterback behind him the whole time. But I think he's a guy that I think the Broncos are in a better situation than the Jaguars and the Bears are. Broncos have enough talent so you can throw a guy in here. I think this is going to be very, very similar to a uh, I think this is going to be this is going to be like a Cliff Kingsbury kind of hire. Yeah, I feel like they can take it. The Cardinals type jump with him where they're going to be competing, but they're going to need something to get over the edge. I think Aaron Rodgers could get them over the edge, but there's no guarantee. So give me an A. All right. The next one is, let me check the show notes The here. Raiders. Josh the McDaniels. Raiders. Josh McDaniels. Now, um, I didn't pick McDaniels to go anywhere. You had picked him to go to the Giants. But, you know, we both expected them to keep Basaccia. But um, I guess we really shouldn't have thought that because the Raiders don't always make smart moves. Uh, Mark Davis is not really the smartest guy. I mean, if yeah. you just look at his haircut, you can tell he doesn't really make smart decisions with his life. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You're right. But, I, but, but here's but, but what I will say is this is not a terrible hire. Josh McDaniels is a good offensive coordinator. He's got a lot of NFL experience, a lot. Not a lot as a head coach, but he has been in the NFL for a long time. Since yeah. like Brady's rookie year, he's been an offensive coordinator. So he's got a lot of experience, <laughs> um, I think. He's got a lot to work with, especially if he can keep, if, especially if they get to keep Derek Carr in Las Vegas. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good hire. You know, I, he he was a failure with the Broncos back in, I think he was back there in 2010 through 2012. He, he yeah. was kind of a failure there. But the thing is, a lot of the best coaches in the NFL actually failed in their first tenure. Like Bill Belichick was bad with the Browns. Saban was bad with the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, Pete Carroll got fired three times and won a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. So I think he's learned a lot. Um, he's been under. I mean, he's been the pupil of Bill Belichick for over a decade. I think this is a good hire for right now. I'm going to give it a B plus, but I think it has a potential to be really good. For me, I, this is a this is an A as well. I think I think the Raiders literally hired McDaniel's for the sole fact to try to get Derek Carr back. Um, I think getting, bringing McDaniels in, who is a quarterback's coach, who's been a, who's an offensive coordinator, who's worked so closely with Tom Brady for so many years and so many good quarterbacks or one really good quarterback and Mac Jones, who saw the development of him this year. I think this is a, this was a play to get Derek Carr to stay. Now I think McDaniels, his biggest focus is getting a good defensive coordinator in. Because he's going to handle everything offensively. He's going to get a d- good defensive coach in here. I don't know about him, though. There's a reason. I know we talked about this last week. I think he was waiting for the perfect job. I don't know if this was the perfect job for him. So I'm going to give it a B. Yeah. And the thing is, I think he understands the importance of defense. I mean, that's what Bill Belichick is. He's a defensive yeah. coach. So he understands the importance of it. So I think he'll I think he'll get a pretty good defensive coordinator. He just but- needs to hire Belichick as his defensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, it as if if only he could do that. Um 
But again, the, the Raiders organization is in a lot of turmoil right now. Um, if Josh McDaniels can just kind of calm everything down, yeah, steady the ship, yeah. keep everything quiet, you know, keep the drama down in the organization. I think, I think he can have some success. And if he takes the opposite approach of uh, John Gruden and not just draft guys that you think look good on tape, but guys that actually have intangibles actually, you know, can have morals. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say you're going to only draft high character guys and then get guys that are not high character guys in there. Um, so quite like, like, like a Richie incognito, like, what are you doing? Anyways, um, mo- moving on. I think, I think it'll be a B it's a B plus for now. Yeah. And the final one is the giants. This one kind of shocked me. Um, a little bit. I know there were reports coming out like a week before that he was the guy that they were targeting. Uh, but Brian Dable to the Giants, um, I think really anybody that would have hired Brian Dable, it's an A minus right now. Uh, he's he's been a good offensive coordinator. He can show he's well. You know what? Actually, I'm going to downgrade him to a B plus for this one reason. He still has faith in Daniel Jones. And that is a negative. Did he come mark. out and say that? Yes, he think he said he came out and said that he thinks he can save Daniel Jones' career. Which, no, we've seen what Daniel Jones is. You're not fixing him. One of the best offensive minds in the game in college football. He completed less than sixty percent of his passes at Duke in a weak ACC. You had a very good quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett. He's not a great head coach, but he's a good <laughs> offensive coordinator. And you completed less than 60% of your passes in a weak division. You're not fixing Daniel Jones. Just move off of him. Dable, but, you know, Dable, he, he seems like he, 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 he's excited about this. I saw his interview. He's, he's getting very chummy with the media, cracking jokes. Um, he's a likable guy, but I'm going to give it a B-plus for right now. He's, they've got a lot of work to get that organization back. A lot of work. Look, I mean... This is what we heard with Joe Judge, too. Joe Judge came in and he was like, we're going to be physical every time. We're going to play as hard as we can. And I believe in Daniel Jones. And he starts cracking jokes at his presser. Is this I mean, is this Joe Judge 2.0? Heck no. Dayball is has been under. Actually, I'm not I'm not spoiling. Um, Brian Dayball has been successful everywhere he goes. He's been under very successful head coaches all of his career. Look. I think this is a C plus right now because it's the Giants. And I think him coming out and saying he has confidence in Daniel Jones kills me. Yeah, kills me because that means they're not going to go any direction like that in the draft in a draft where they have two top 15 picks. If I don't if I if I do recall, yeah, I think they do two top 15 picks where they can actually make like they can do a lot of damage. So for me, it's a C plus right now. He could prove me wrong and I want him to prove me wrong if he can get Saquon back and consistent and doctored up. And if yeah. he can get Dan- if he can turn Daniel Jones around, it's an A plus hire. Yeah. I mean, in, in his defense, he could very well have just been saying that. I mean, he's just been introduced as the coach. What do you want him to say? Daniel Jones sucks. We're moving yeah. on. So in his, I'll give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt in terms of Saquon. I mean, he showed in Buffalo. He's not interested in running the ball. So I, I don't know. You know, they're going to have to draft offensive line. I think they honestly, I think this year they need to spend their first two picks on offensive linemen. 
and then maybe worry about a quarterback next year with a better draft. So stick with Daniel Jones or, you know, just go with a go with a bridge quarterback this year. But yeah, don't don't try to change Daniel Jones. You're not changing him at this point. He's been in the league four years. He is what he's going to be. He's not going to change. Yeah. So next segment, uh, the conference championship review, man. We have had some fantastic uh, games these past couple of weekends. The AFC title game. That's the first one we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to let you start off. Uh, just just what what are your thoughts of the, the Chiefs Bengals game? I mean, dude, I mean, watching this game from the start to finish, um, uh, there was one play that changed this game, and it was the last play of the first half. Yeah. This game was, um, they had just came off a touchdown. Uh, The Bengals just came off a touchdown, made it 21 to 10. And the the Chiefs could have very well just kicked a field goal. They should have kicked the field goal. They should have. And Andy Reid doesn't make decisions like this much. And he decides now, could it have been on Mahomes? Maybe. Could have Mahomes, could Mahomes have spiked it with one second left in the end zone? Maybe. But he threw it and they were short and that bring, brought all momentum back to the Bengals. They get stops and the Chiefs offense shuts down. To tell if you told me going into this game, after the way that we've broken it, broken it down, after everyone's broken it down, that the Bengals would end with three sacks and the Chiefs would only have one. I would have told you, you're insane. But that's exactly how the game went, and the and Joe Burrow played out of his mind. Joe Burrow is on track to be the first person to ever win a Heisman, a college football playoff championship, and a Super Bowl. And he's going to do it in a stretch of three to four years. I'm not going to spoil my. I'm not going to spoil anything. But it looks really good for him right now. That was a team effort. Tyler Boyd stepped up. T. Higgins stepped up when Jamar Chase was getting shadowed by basically the whole Chiefs defense. I think the I mean, this is already this is kind of going to a preview. Ramsey versus Ramsey versus Chase is going to be insane. But congrats to the Bengals. I I don't think the Chiefs are going anywhere. I don't think the Chiefs are going anywhere. Mahomes is not going anywhere. That team's just going to keep getting better. Um, this is a tough one for them, but the Bengals, dude, a shocker. The only person that predicted this before the year was Dan Orlovsky. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Dan Orlovsky. Yes, he did. I think I sent you a TikTok about that right before you we did. started. You did. Um, yeah. Uh, just an incredible game. And Joe Burrow has, has cemented himself as my new favorite player in the league. Joe Shiesty. Joe Shiesty. Just, he's so good. And, you know, it's just incredible the way that he has led a team that has so historically been very cheap. They don't spend money on free agents. They don't particularly always draft very well. Um, the same people that, that, uh, that are the top boosters for the University of Tennessee, I believe, own the Bengals, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's the Browns. But either way, um, they're, they're, they're just not a very... They've never... They, they haven't been good in a long time. They haven't been relevant in a long time. And for him to have one of the worst offensive lines in the game and still make it to the Super Bowl, which offensive line is arguably the most important position on the field. Yeah. And for him to still make the Super Bowl without it, 
I mean, Joe Burrow, something about him is so old school. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, there's nobody like Patrick Mahomes. Like he he's just an innovator. He he does things differently. Um, Lamar Jackson is is a is a wide receiver has wide receiver speed. He's he's a quarterback that has that can run like a wide receiver. He's uh you know, and then you've got J- Justin Herbert. He's a running back. You got Justin Herbert who has fantastic arm strength <laughs> and accuracy. Um, you know, just all these great quarterbacks. Oh. And then Joe Burrow is kind of kind of a little just a little bit more of a athletic Brady. It's just kind of old school. I love it. I love you know, it. I'm not, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Joe Burrow is going to no, be, you're saying I'm not going to have the success of Brady. Say I'm not it. saying Joe Burrow is going to be Say a seven-time Super Bowl champion. But what I'm saying is he's very Brady-esque in the way he carries himself and the way he plays the game. He's just a little bit more athletic than him. And coming off that devastating knee injury last year, you would think most people would be a little bit scared to get hit. Joe Burrow's not scared to get hit. He plays just like he did before that knee injury. Joe Shiesty, man. And Shiesty, we trust. He's so, he's so good. What a game. And and you said it, the, the, the game changing play was the chiefs getting greedy at the end of the first half. Just take the points. Just take the points. Very like, characteristic for Andy Reid. Like it, I understand you got the best offense in the league, but field goals are important. I know a lot of people are trying to say that field goals don't mean anything anymore. It's all just about touchdowns. But I mean, think of how many one point games we've had. You know, mm-hmm. field goals are important. So, anyways, yes, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a weekly segment called Zach's Soapbox. And I'm going to get on my soapbox right here about the NFL overtime rules. Just a week ago, everybody was complaining about the overtime rules are not fair because both teams don't get a chance to touch the football and the Bills should have had a chance to get the football. And I told you, cry me a river because you need to get a stop. You're an NFL franchise. You made it this far into the playoffs. You have the supposedly number one defense, get a stop, get the ball back to Josh Allen and win the game. And you know who actually did that? The Bengals. The Bengals go to the playoffs. They lose, they, they play the Chiefs. They lose the coin toss. They lose the coin toss. And you even saw it on Joe Burrow's face after they lost the coin toss. He was like, man, he knew, he knew it was coming. And Patrick Mahomes was excited. He immediately threw his jacket off, was like, Let's go. We're about to win this game. And what happens? The Chiefs go three and out. Their defense got to stop. Something the Bills did not do. So, contrary to what a lot of the talking heads are saying, a coin flip did not determine the game. What determined the game? The defense got to stop and gave it back to their quarterback, who then led them down the field. They kicked a field goal and won the game. So stop, stop with the overtime needs to change. Look, if you want to change it to the playoffs where both teams get a guaranteed shot, that's fine. But don't sit here and act like it's the NFL's fault that the Bills lost because they didn't get a chance to get the ball. And everybody's saying, well, you know, 
10 out of 12 overtime games in the playoffs, the team that won the coin toss won the game. Yeah, but I want you to look further into the context of that. Context is king. Okay. Only seven out of those 10 were on the first drive. The game ended after the first drive. So really the number is less than that. In five of those games, both teams got to touch the ball. Seven of them, they didn't. But in the end, get a stop. And I think, actually, I think four of those were Brady. Four of those times where overtime ended after just one possession was Tom Brady, because that's what Tom Brady does. But if, if don't, don't, don't sit here and complain and say it's the NFL's fault. The NFL playoffs need to change this, that, and the other. No, they don't. You need to get a stop. You're an NFL franchise. You're getting paid $20 million a year to make a stop. So do it. Get the ball back to your quarterback and win the game. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <coughs> and we're going to move to the NFC Championship. Hey, that was the first Zach soapbox. Okay, this was really just the first named Zach soapbox. We have <laughs> one almost every week. We probably have two or three each week. I just let him talk. I know how he is. We've talked about sports forever. This is a perfect name. Zach soapbox. We might have to have some Mitchell soapboxes because I get, I get, I get, I get yeah. frustrated too. I get frustrated too. But anyways, Zach, talk about the NFC Championship. NFC Championship. Um, you know, I didn't. I'm full disclosure. I didn't get to watch most of that Chiefs Bengals game, um, but I did watch pretty much the entire Rams 49ers game. Great game. It was close. 49ers started to pull away. It started to look a little bleak for Sean McVay's Rams. And you could even see Sean McVay was making some very questionable decisions. Just kind of, he kind of just looked very desperate. Two challenges. He, he was challenging yeah. stuff that, uh, like, you weren't going to get those calls overturned anyway. And then trying to throw the ball downfield when you're down by 10 and, and Matthew Stafford almost throwing picks on those. He, he was just kind of coaching a little desperate kind of just like he was he was willing to pull out all the bags of tricks when he didn't need to but it ended up working out um mainly because uh jaquaski tart couldn't hang on to the interception um and the rams ended up winning and breaking that six game losing streak but i think the story is jimmy g's performance in the fourth quarter he was not impressive he looked good through the first three quarters but just like the super bowl two years ago he fell apart in the fourth quarter he didn't look very good, and I think this solidifies Jimmy G's final game in San Francisco. Now, is Trey Lance going to be better in the fourth quarter than Jimmy G? We don't know yet, but um, you know, I just kind of think they're they're a little bit tired of him always being hurt, um, and they're a little bit tired of his fourth quarter just he's just very lackluster in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, and, and hey. I love both quarterbacks that are going to the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, love him. Georgia grad, you know, the most talented quarterback ever recruited to Georgia. Um, was faithful to Detroit for nine or ten years. I mean, put up with the crap of that organization. I mean, that, that organization was, was doo-doo the entire time he was there. They still are. And he was faithful to them. Stuck it out as long as he could, but he said, you know what? I'm getting to the end of my career. I want to win. And good for him. His first year in, in L.A., leading him to a Super Bowl. And for the second year in a row, a team will be playing in its home stadium in the Super Bowl, which is crazy. Crazy. 
It's yeah. crazy. It, it had never happened before, before this point. Yeah. So the kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, you basically said everything about this game. It was, it was, it wasn't as entertaining. I watched everything. I watched both games basically start to finish. Um, this game just wasn't as entertaining. The thing to me and the thing I want to point out is even though they lost, I just want to give a huge hand to Debo Samuel. My, yeah. I, like that man poured his heart and his soul for that team. He was that team. And next year, I'm really, really interested to see how they work the Trey Lance, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell offense. Because I think they can be really electric. That defense is not going anywhere. The Niners aren't going anywhere. Um, but hey, this was Matthew Stafford making a couple plays at the end of the game, uh, making some big throws. And as much as I think he's a diva, Odell Beckham's been huge for this team. Yes. Odell Beckham has stepped up. He's been that guy in the Robert Wood went since Robert Woods went down. He's played that role perfectly. They ran the ball nicely. Matthew Stafford. Props to him. Like you said, I love both quarterbacks. We're going to talk about Super Bowl preview next week um, and we'll get into who we think is going to win and all the breakdowns of the game. But man, if you would have told me Rams versus Bengals, which is the most random Super Bowl ever. Yeah, I would have said, wow, OK, I wouldn't ex- I wasn't expecting it, but man, I'm excited for it. It's going to be yeah. a great game now. About, let's jump in. T- yeah. yeah, what? Hold on a second before we before we get okay. into Cousin Clash. Okay. I, I just, I wasn't, this was, this is not in the show notes, but I just thought of this. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This Super Bowl, we are seeing parody. It's time to prove whether or not parody is better for the NFL or worse. Let's see what the ratings are after the game. Yep. And I think it'll prove a point. I'm, I, I mean, I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to be tuned in. I'm going to be locked in. And it'll probably have a lot of viewers just because it is an LA team in the Super Bowl. But, you know, we've been we've said this. Everybody clamors for parody, and then it ends up hurting the ratings. So let's see what happens in the Super Bowl. You have parody, you have two teams that don't make it there very often. Let's see what happens. I agree. All right. So now we're going to move on to this week's edition of Cousin Clash. I was in charge of coming up with the the uh the topic for this week. Last week, I slaughtered Mitchell in the first edition of Cousin Clash, like four to one. A little unfair, um, but okay. Yeah, Whatever. yeah, it, it was it was a little unfair. I'll admit that. Um, but this week, we're going to do where did they where where was their first coaching opportunity or where where did they come from coaching edition? Um, so the way this is going to work, we're going to have five questions as we do every time, and I'm going to pick AFC head coaches, and Mitchell's going to pick NFC head coaches. Yeah, current, current coaches current, in NFC and AFC. Current okay. head coaches in those two conferences. And our job is to guess where they got their first NFL job. Now, each question has a potential for three points, okay? You get one point if you get their first job correct, the team that they got their first job with. You get a second point if you can guess what that position was, what the title of their job was. And you get a third point if you can get all three of those without any hints. So if you, the way that we're going to do it, three. Yeah. The way that we're going to do it this week is if you ask for a hint, you cannot get three points. You can only get a maximum of two. Okay. So if you can get it without a hint, then um, you can get three points. And also if you don't use a hint and you guess it incorrectly, we will use that as a hint. So you can still get two points. So you'll get a maximum of two guesses. Okay. 
But one, but if you do use your hint, then you do not get two guesses. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start off this week since Mitchell started last week. The current Buffalo Bills head coach, Sean McDermott. Where did he get his first coaching job in the NFL? This is freaking hard. Um, I think Sean McDermott seems like a guy who's been under the Belichick Belichick um, mold. Um, can I use that as a hint? Was this first place? Did mm, I don't know. That would give it away. Could be a good hint. Could be a bad one. But you only get one hint. Has he ever been under Bill Belichick? No. Okay. Terrible. Okay. You know what? I'm going to say that he was a coach for the first time with the New Orleans Saints. That is incorrect. It was with the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. And, and he, let me sit. Can I, can yeah, I, you can guess a, what was he? I'm going to guess he was a quality control coach. No, he was the assistant to the head coach. He was not an assistant coach. He was an assistant to the head coach. Dwight Schrute. <laughs> he was the Dwight the Schrute of the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. All right. So All right. no points Zach, on that one. Current Seahawks coach, Pete Carroll. Where was his first job? Okay. Um, I want my hint to be what division is it? Crap. I'm really bad with division names. Um, dang it, that's a good one. AFC East. AFC, AFC East. Um, hmm. I'm going to say... I'm going to say the New York Jets. Final answer? Final answer, New York Jets. It is incorrect. It was the Buffalo Bills. Ah, that was my... Ah, I was between them was, and Buffalo. What was, was his t- position? What was his... What, 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 what position did he Oh, gosh. 1984 to ni- 1999. 15 years he was in this position with the Bills. I'm going to say he was a defensive analyst. I don't know. He was a defensive back... Backs coach. Defensive for backs 15 coach. 15 years with the Buffalo Bills. Wow. He was there for 15 years, man. All right. So that's zero points for both of us after the first question. Okay. Tennessee Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. Okay. We know he played for the New England Patriots. But where did he get his first NFL coaching gig? Sir, I would like to use my hint. What division? AFC South. AFC South. AFC South. Which is the division he currently coaches in. AFC South. Okay. Sir, I'm going to say he started off with the Indianapolis Colts. That's incorrect. Houston Houston Texans. Houston Texans. Now, what was he? I am going to say he was a middle linebackers coach. I'm going to give it to you. He was a linebacker's coach. He's just a linebacker's coach. Let's go. I'm going to give it to you. Because he was a linebacker with the Patriots. Yeah. Let's go, baby. All right. And that actually wasn't that long ago. I think it was like 2012. Um, all right. Your, your, your question now. Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington football team. 
new name to be revealed in two days. Yes. Yes. Um, so excited. Come on. Just give me the division. The division that he coached in was the NFC North. NFC North. Um, I'm going to say Chicago. Final answer? Final answer, Chicago. That is correct. Yes, sir. Okay. In 1999, Ron Rivera was the blank coach for the Bears. He was the... I'll say he was a linebacker's coach. That is incorrect. He was the quality control coach. Oh, all right. One to one control coach. One to one. One. Let's go, baby. All right. Coaching legend, Bill Belichick. Freak me. Bill Belichick. This might would be might be hard. Freak me. Dude. His first coaching gig was in 1975. So what team was it? 1975. My hint, was he on John Madden's staff? No, I don't believe so. Okay, okay. Well, then I'm just going to throw a random guess because I knew he was under some kind of historic coach. I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. That's wrong. It is the Baltimore Colts. Now known as the Indianapolis Colts. Oh my god! Hey, I would have given it to you if you said Indianapolis Colts. I know, I know. Even if you would have said Baltimore, I would have given it to you. That's crazy. Was he a? um, Was he just a? I think just defensive analyst. He was labeled as a special assistant. That's it. A special assistant. (laughs) He's real. Yeah, he's he's just. He also was like twenty three years old at the time. So that's crazy, dude. Hey, that's a good one. That is a good one. Your head coach, Mike McCarthy, where did he start? (sighs) Jeez. Where did he start? Hey, I hate to have keep asking the same hint, but it's the one that narrows it down the most. What division is it? NFC South. NFC South. Um... Give me the Saints. Final answer? Final answer. That is correct. Yeah. I knew by your face I got it right. What was his position? Um, what does Mike McCarthy do really well? <laughs> Nothing. Can't answer that question. That's why I asked it. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say... Passing game coordinator? I don't know. He was the offensive coordinator as his first job. Oh, really? Wow. 2000. 2000. Yep. Mike McCarthy, sir. Mike McCarthy. It's two to one. Two to one. That's a good one. You you keep using the little division one, but it's okay. Hey, it's the best hint you can get. It works. It works. It works. All right. Mike Tomlin, current coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin. What division? 
The NFC South. NFC South. Mike Tomlin started with the Carolina Panthers. You're close. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wasn't close. <laughs> Tampa Bay God, Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think he was a secondary coach. I'll give it to you. He was a DB coach. He coached the DBs. Let's go. Two to two, baby. Two to two. All right. Josh Sir? McDaniels, newly what? hired Las Vegas Raiders coach. You just asked me. It's my turn to ask you. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Come on. Well, man. Not I gave you a chance to think about it. Anyways, go ahead. Arthur Smith, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Division, please. Your division. The NFC East? Yes. Um, his dad owns like FedEx or something. Which I don't know what that has to do with my answer, but I'm just trying to see if there's like some kind of connection. Um, I'm going to say the Washington football team. That is correct. Let's go. That is correct. <laughs> FedEx Field. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why FedEx I was like, I was Field. Like, That's I, why it I was like, scared I feel, the crap I, out of me. I was like, I feel that. like I have FedEx has some kind of connection to Washington. <laughs> what was right. his position? Um, running backs coach. He was the offensive quality control coach. Whatever that means. Hey, quality. <laughs> All, right. All right, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, Las Vegas Raiders. Division, please, sir. The AFC East. AFC East. Okay. This one seems a little obvious, but it's not. It does. Miami Dolphins. Should have went with your gut. It was the New England Patriots. Dang it, dude. Dang it. <laughs> I Josh McDaniels has only ever coached in two places. No, no, three. He was an offensive coordinator for one year somewhere. Patriots, Broncos, and then he was an offensive coordinator somewhere for like one year. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Okay. He has been been there since 2001. Was he the quarterback's coach for the Patriots when he first came on? No, he was a personnel assistant. Personnel assistant. Whatever. All right. Which you have no chance. Well, that's yeah. You have no chance. I'd to have win to go now. perfect. I'd have to go perfect. No, there's no more. That's that's five coaches. That was your fifth. Yeah, you have okay, no chance well, to win my, at this point. Here's my fifth, Brian Dable. Okay, his first NFL coaching gig was the Buffalo Bills as the offensive coordinator. That is incorrect. Oh, okay. Should have stayed in the division. He was a defensive coaching assistant with the New England Patriots. Defense? Huh. Defensive coaching assistant with the New England Patriots. Wow. I thought that one was a was a pretty crazy one. So you know what? I, th- I feel like I knew that because I, I, I had heard that he had he's coached under two great coaches. Belichick, Belichick and Saban. Yep. Yeah. Zach. Two and oh. Back-to-back cousin clashes. Yes, sir. Victories for Mr. Zach. And I hope you guys enjoy this segment. I know it's something different and we are running long, but we've got one more segment. Hold on. It's going to be fun. Fasten your earbuds. Yes. 
Yes. Or turn up your speakers in your trucks. Because <laughs> we are, come on. Let's, let's go, Zach. All right. Take so we're going to talk about WWE right now. Um, Royal Rumble just happened on Sunday night, last night. Um, and, or no, Saturday night, actually, not Sunday Saturday night. Saturday night, yeah. But um, pretty eventful uh, Royal Rumble. Um, you know, I felt like it was a pretty good show. Not the best Royal Rumble I've ever seen. I'd give it overall probably a B just because of the ending. The ending was pretty bad. <laughs> um, we'll get into that here in a second. Um, but l- let me hear your let me hear your best match of the night or your favorite match of the night. My favorite match of the night was the first match. Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. Yeah, I think it was just a, a, the, the storytelling in it um, with him coming out in the shield, the shield gear. The wrestling itself was really good. Hate that it was ended in such a crap way. Um, which was kind of a theme for the night, um, yeah. if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, a crap ending, but we, I mean, we legit didn't have a, a like a good ending all night. It seems. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll get into that. I think that was just technically storytelling wise, that was a great match, and I'll take that for my best night match of the night. Yeah, uh, I don't want to copy you or piggyback off yeah, you, but nah, that, that's the best match of the night. It was. <laughs> yeah. Easy. I was a little disappointed that it was the kickoff match. I really felt like it should not have kicked off the show, um, but it was a great match nonetheless. Like you said, the storytelling, Seth Rollins playing mind games with Roman Reigns, and you know Nick watched it with us, and yeah. you know both me and him. One of the first things that we said when we saw Seth Rollins were like, "Seth Rollins is the new Triple H. He is yep. this generation's Triple Which H. Is high praise. He is the cerebral assassin. He plays mind games." And he's extremely talented in the ring. He can do everything. He can be a high flyer if he needs to be. He can be a powerhouse if he needs to be. He can do a little bit of everything. And the the match was great. I kind of knew from the beginning that Roman Reigns was going to win the match. It was a little bit predictable finish. Yeah. But um, I also knew that Seth Rollins could not afford to lose clean. He would have, He was going to have to lose by some cheese which technically Seth Rollins won the match by DQ. Um, but, it, but it was a cheese ending as I, as I expected. Um, really, I think that was just kind of a filler as from what we saw later on in the night um, with Roman Reigns costing uh, Brock Lesnar the title against Bobby Lashley, which, you know, it's not the worst match of the night. It was, it was, it was still pretty entertaining. But Bobby Lashley is the champion is going to be so boring. Um, my worst match, my worst match of the night was the. Uh, I would say the Royal Rumble itself. But there were parts of it that were entertaining. You know what? Yes, the Royal Rumble, because of the reports that came out afterwards about who was supposed to win, the fact that there were like five or six legends that were supposed to come back and make an appearance and they never came out, never made an appearance but through all that trouble of coming back to not even come out there and do anything. And that ending was so disappointing. It had so much potential to be good and it, and it just was just a big fat disappointment. Like a lot of things WWE is doing right now, a close second was that, uh, was the uh, what was it? Big tag team match. Yeah, no, I think even that was more entertaining than the Becky Lynch Dewdrop match. I really, I just really wasn't into the Dewdrop Becky Lynch match at all. 
So, well, I don't. I, I want us to have some parity here on our answers, but I was gonna. I was gonna say the Royal Rumble, the men's Royal Rumble, was the worst match of the night. You have so Royal Rumble is so many opportunities to build stories. You're not just. You're not just looking at the winner who's obviously going to get a number one contender spot is going to get the main event of WrestleMania. You were looking at, you can have clashes, you can set up WrestleMania feuds and yeah, they did a couple of them, but I just felt like the energy was never there. We were at a point in the match where there were six people. This is, I think this is right when 29 came out, there were six people in the ring. We legitimately would want to win, could see winning and would be great challenging like a Bobby Lashley or something at WrestleMania because we thought, in our mind, that Brock Lesnar was already a shoe-in after he just got cost, cost the match against Roman Reigns. So uh, sitting at 29, this would not have been the worst match of the night because we had guys like Riddle in there. We had guys like, you know, Bad Bunny, Kevin Owens. Okay, we had- I don't want to see Bad Bunny <laughs> there going to WrestleMania. <laughs> okay, no. anyway, he's going to be at WrestleMania. But, um, but guys like Kevin Owens, guys who, Randy Orton, deserve opportunities and are really good. But then you throw Brock Lesnar out there, and right when he came out, we knew. We knew it. We knew it. Yeah. You had Drew McIntyre in there as well. We knew that Brock Lesnar was going to win that match, and there was no reason. And this is can kind of transition into what is Vince thinking, right? Yeah. Because I'm going to go. I'm going to kind of get off on a soapbox here. Get on your soapbox, Vince. You. All these reports that I'm reading is that Riddle was supposed to be the winner of this match. And all these reports I'm reading, and Zach already said it, that we were supposed to have about five or six legends who were going to appear in this match. And who they replaced those five or six legends with, I don't know. Because, I mean, it seems like everyone who was in the match got gets pretty decent run on the weekly shows. But anyways, Vince McMahon clearly changed the result very, 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 very um, recent before the show. Like, like, soon to the start time of the show, he changed it. And... Vince McMahon is so attracted to making he like he wants he wants storylines to be so simple and so in your face. He doesn't want any sort of understanding of what like how WWE actually works. Brock Lesnar, without winning the Rumble, without competing in the Rumble, had two title shots that he could have competed for. Two. He had a rematch clause against Bobby Lashley after getting cost, cost the match. And then he had a clear feud with Roman Reigns in a match that he never got at day one. Yeah. Both of those opportunities he could have gotten. He did not need to win the Rumble. What do you have the Rumble as usually? You have the Rumble as an opportunity to build up a new star to be your guy to compete for a, for a championship at WrestleMania. We've seen it with Drew McIntyre who went, who won, um, uh, who won after winning it. We've seen it with tons of people who have won after winning the rumble. It sets them apart and they are there to start their, their leap. And if riddle would have won great riddles, a great competitor. He's a great athlete and him versus Bobby Lashley would have been such a physical match, but no, now this report just came out as WWE Monday night raw is live as we're recording it. Brock Lesnar will be in the elimination chamber match against Bobby Lashley and four other people. So Brock Lesnar is going to get his rematch clause and he's going to lose and Roman Reigns is going to cost him. And then they're just going to, they're going to fight at WrestleMania. I just have a problem with Vince's booking. He Vince wants stuff so cut and dry and it's, we're tired of that. We've seen cut and dry booking our whole lives. 
The, yeah. last not, the last not the last five or six years we've seen cut and dry booking. We just want stuff. We want new stars. You've got guys like Kevin Owens who just signed an extension with the company, who's here for the long run. He didn't bail to AEW. We've got all your big stars who you didn't give an opportunity to bailing to AEW. And now you're stuck with guys like Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, these guys who were granted what Brock Lesnar's doing right now is some of his best work as a character in a long yeah. time as a face. But you're stuck with these guys. You're stuck with these part timers, these big fiscal guys who can't put on great five star matches because you're mistreating everyone who's actually got talent. And Vince is going to run this company down the drain by making decisions like this on a night to night basis. And I've also heard that he changed his mind five times about the results of the Rumble in the last two days. Five times. Five times he changed his mind. Crazy. And I think he made the wrong decision. And not that I don't like what Brock's doing right now. Of course, I think Brock deserves a chance because obviously he's got a rematch clause and he got screwed over out of the one championship again with Roman Reigns. Yeah. So obviously he deserves an opportunity at WrestleMania and he's doing great character work, but he didn't have to win the Rumble. Use the Rumble to build someone up. And I hope, I hope because Bobby Lashley's not losing the Elimination Chamber match. I think we can, I think we can bank on that. He's going to win. Do we, can we bank on that? With Vince at this point, no, Can but we? I don't think I don't think Brock's going to win it. I, I, I and this is to ju- not to end your soapbox before you wanted to be done, but to jump in here, I think because it was rumored in the day after the day one debacle that Vince was going to was going to do all this build up for a title unification match at WrestleMania could very well happen after Elimination Chamber. R- Brock wins the title from Bobby or wins the title back from Bobby, then continues his feud with Roman Reigns for a title unification match, which I don't think is a good idea. But it's, it seems like whenever Vince starts panicking, he wants some kind of like champion versus champion deal. Like he he's, he's, he's done he it like, guy that, yeah. he's done it like three or four times throughout the tenure of WWE where they had two different world champions. He starts to panic a little bit about the position of the company. And then in his panicking, he decides to do a title unification match or an undisputed world champion. And it's, it's just like you said, we've seen it before. We've seen undisputed champions before. We don't need to see it again. There's a reason why each brand has their own champion. Don't unify the titles. It's stupid. And it's, it's unnecessary. And, and, you know, you already said it, but Brock Lesnar winning the Rumble is was the most unnecessary ending I have ever seen in WWE history. Cause you yeah. said it, he already, ha- he already has a match with Roman set up because Roman Reigns came out, cost him his, his title, ma- cost him his title against Bobby Lashley. And, um, Paul Heyman turns on Brock Lesnar again and goes back with Roman Reigns. So he already has, his foot in the door for that title. Like, I'm glad that WWE decided to not abandon that storyline because that was the best thing they had going for him last year was the feud between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. So I'm glad they didn't abandon that. But having Brock win the Rumble was so unnecessary because like you said, the Royal Rumble traditionally is for a guy who is on the cusp of really breaking out and this is his opportunity to do so. And again, that article you sent me, Matt Riddle for over a week was scheduled to win that match. 
and then Vince changed his mind five times in the last two days before. Uh, he changed it to Randy Orton. He changed it to, I think he changed it to Kevin Owens at one point. Pretty much any of the other five options he picked would have been good, would have been better than what happened. Um, you know, Randy Orton would have won- ended up winning his third Royal Rumble, which is fine. He's a legend. He's at the end of his career. Give him one last title shot. That would have been fine with me. Um, but Matt Riddle, I mean, he, I think, is, is one of the the young guys that hasn't gotten a push yet that I think really deserves one. And I think he's going to be a special superstar. Yeah. Um, and I think it really would have helped Matt Riddle to win the Rumble. Maybe, you know, you know, maybe he loses at WrestleMania, but at least he's there. That really puts him on the scene. But Brock Lesnar winning it was so unnecessary. It is, it is literally the most unnecessary finish to a pay-per-view I've ever seen. Like it, it just, it, it was like repetitive. Like he's already got two title shots lined up, but just in case let's let him win the rumble. So he has another time. Like what yeah. is Brock Lesnar going to wrestle two matches on WrestleMania? He loses to Roman the first time and he cashes in his main event and wrestles him a second time. Like, like what's the point? And, and look, and then look, I, I, I want to go back to this whole unification thing and I want to throw out another reason that it's a bad idea because you are so sold on this two night WrestleMania thing. If you throw a unification match, one night's going to have a major title and the other night's going to have nothing. Yeah. Going to have absolutely nothing. And you have to, and with these two brands, you're just going to have the, the, the unified champ go to both brands. It just, I mean, you throw away everything that you've worked with trying to do this brand clash by unifying the championship. And now that you say it, I think it's going to happen. I think Brock Lesnar is going to beat Bobby Lashley in the, in the chamber. And then we're going to have Brock Lesnar, who's the WWE champion against Roman Reigns, who's the universal and Roman Reigns is going to win. And he's just going to keep his, his reign of dominance. And the only thing positive coming out of that is that if there is a young star who is the person to dethrone Roman, that's a good buildup. But that's I, I don't trust WWE. And this is the, our road to WrestleMania buildup. We really have no idea because now going into Elimination Chamber, we don't know any of the other four that are going to be in the match. We know it's going to be Brock and Brock and Bobby. Yeah. And I'm just glad it's a championship match because I kind of called when we were talking, watching it. I said it was going to be a number one contender, but I'm glad it's a championship match. Yeah. And I, I really, really hope they don't go the Brock winning direction. And I, th- I hope instead they go Bobby wins, but the, there's one clear guy who should have won. Kind of take the Kofi Kingston route. Do you remember when Kofi got his burn right before WrestleMania? Yeah, he won. He he almost won in the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, like legitimately almost won in the Elimination Chamber, beating I forgot who the champion at that time was. But he almost won. And it, it got him all this steam. He went into fast lane and he won like this two on one match. And he finally got a shot at WrestleMania and won. I, I hope that's the direction they're going, but I don't trust them. Yeah. And the thing is, is the Elimination Chamber is going to be in Saudi Arabia. And if I'm not mistaken, pretty much every time they go to Saudi Arabia, Brock Lesnar wins the main event. Because he's a pop. So that's my prediction. I think Brock Lesnar wins the Elimination Chamber. And they have yeah. a stupid title unification match at WrestleMania. Which, will the match be good? Will the match be good? The match yes. will be amazing. The match will probably be amazing. Will be the best. Will, might very well be the best match at Mania. 
you'll have a great build up, great story. But the fact that only one of them will hold the championship will be dumb. Yep. You know, and the only thing worse than one person holding both titles is they have a great match and it ends in a no decision. That would be even worse. All and this build up for nothing. Rain. Yeah. It would be all for nothing. So a play they could do, Zach. They wrestle first night, they end in an O contest, and they wrestle again the second night. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be kind of interesting. I'm into it. Or, oh, or one of them loses, and then they they wrestle. The other one wrestles the next night for another championship, and they both end up with their championships again. Right? If it, the on. titles are unified in the first match, how can that happen? Brick, I for dang it. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, it's just. It's just more disappointment. I was really, really hoping that this year's Royal Rumble was going to get me kind of interested again in WWE. You know, we we will always watch the 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 big four every every year just because they're the most yeah. interesting pay per views. I'm gonna watch Chamber too because I'm um, interested now. Yeah, but, the Road yeah. to WrestleMania is always fun, and then SummerSlam is always fun, and then uh, Survivor, Survivor Series. series uh, yeah. Survivor Series is hit or miss. Those are really the only pay per views we watch uh, anymore. Money in the bank. Money in the bank. Uh, even then, I, I haven't watched Money in the Bank like the last two years. Yeah. But I was really hoping that this would get me interested again. And it's just another, it's, the, it's more of the same. Vince McMahon panicked, wasn't sure if the, the finish was going to go over well. It's almost like Vince is like scared to take risks anymore. So he goes with the safest option possible. Okay, I know Brock Lesnar gets pops. I know he's a good champion. So let's let him win the rumble. Okay. No, Vince. That's dumb. Like Vince McMahon needs to have somebody in his ear telling him his ideas are stupid. Like he needs to have somebody there. Shane or Stephanie or Triple H needs to be there to be like, Vince, that's not a good idea. Don't do that, please. Yep. So I don't know. yeah. Just, do you just want to more, go to our fan question to end it out? No, uh, to, to, no. That, no. That question is going to take too long. So That's going to take too long. All right, Zach. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the official review. Uh, just keep listening. Keep interacting. Keep asking us questions. Um, we'll, we'll post TikToks again, I promise. We've been slacking on the TikTok. I know I have. At least Zach's been posting. I haven't. Um, but yeah, just interact with us. Listen to all the podcasts. Um, Lane Violation. A big thanks for that show. Um, if you want more WWE content, we're down. I can, I'm kind of back invested in it again. I know Zach just said that it's going to be hard for him to be invested in it, but just keep listening. Keep supporting. Um, drop a five star review on Apple and Spotify. I know that helps get our name up there. I know we haven't talked about that much, but it does. If you listen to us, give us a five star rating. It gets our name out there. It gives us much a, a bigger on the algorithm. We love and appreciate y'all. Keep listening. See you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Official Review. Before you go, I just wanted to give you a couple ways that you can stay connected with the show. First is our email, mgzbsportsnetwork at gmail.com. With this email, you can stay connected, ask us questions that we will answer on the show. Also, if you want to follow us on TikTok under the same name, we post very, very frequently about everything that's happening. And also, if you just want to check Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts Thursday morning at 8 a.m. for every single episode of the official review. Thank you, and we love you. 
Peace.